2 Timothy chapter 2 and his ongoing letter um, to young Timothy. uh, And again, he was at death's door. And so he said the things on the exit strategy to, to nail down to young Timothy what he needed to do and how he needed to conduct himself. And within ministry, these letters are invaluable if preachers would listen and and carefully deduct from Paul how he says to go about ministry. In verse 1 of chapter 2, Paul says this. He says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Now, it's, it's worthy to pause at this point and say, that God does not deposit grace into us apart from Christ Jesus. That's a a huge mistake we make as Christians to think that we have power or that we have grace or that we have anything to work the ministry. It is all tied in perfect union to Christ Jesus. God doesn't bless us with power and then we go off and use that power. Preacher, tell me years ago, I'm praying for the power of God. I'm praying for the power of God. Well, my first thought was, is you don't have to pray for it. You're connected to Jesus Christ. You rest in Christ, and then the power is not yours. It's Christ, and he does the work. It's very important at these fine points to intellectually and mentally understand how the operation of grace works. It works in vital connection to Christ Jesus. It is his strength. It is his grace. And as we focus and abide on him, we are a conduit to the, to the power and strength and grace of Christ. No glory is given to us. No credit is given to us. No more than you would applaud a straw that gets the milkshake into your mouth. It's just a conduit for the person of Jesus Christ. That's all it is. But he says, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Now, he has four generations, I think, here. And what you have heard from me, that's generation one, in the presence of many witnesses, that's generation two, entrust to faithful men, that's generation three, who will be able to teach others also, that's four generations. You see that? The passing along of biblical truth that sets men free must be from generation to generation Older to younger to younger coming along because none of us are going to be here that long. And so you, you must convey the information of what it means to set free. The young preachers that are in churches that are preaching law, which by and large most do, this is what they know. This is what they've been taught. This is what they got from the university or they got from what they were growing up. This is all they know. Now, some are gr- preaching grace and learning grace and getting there. But a man can only preach and teach what he knows and what he believes to be true. I said things years ago in a law-based mentality that that's all I knew. I wasn't being disobedient or rebellious or wanted to do it my own way. I I thought that's the way to do it, to hound people and harass them and, you know, tell them to get off their do-nothings. I never told anybody that. I've been told that. I have been told that to get off my do-nothings. But um, that's the, the, the truth passed from generation. The things that you've heard from me, that everybody heard me say, you heard me. They heard me. You give those to faithful men to make a deposit in their lives so that when we're dead and gone, others will pass on and continue the gospel. Continue. That's just the way it works. 
And so that's our job here is to constantly disciple, pour into people's lives the truth, share the truth. Don't ever hesitate to do that, by the way. If you have a brother or sister in Christ that's struggling with sin or struggling or, you know, battling in a law-based thing, tell them the truth. Tell them it's not you. Now, it'll go in one ear and out the other, perhaps, but you don't know what's caught in between. There might be a little, you know, screen there that catches some kind of dust going through, and, and, and that'll settle, and you never know. You just never know what you say. So say it. Don't hesitate to give them the full counsel of God every chance you get. Now, if they resist it and don't want to hear it, there's just nothing you can do. But share the truth with Christians and believers. All right, verse 2. So what you've heard and trust to faithful men. And there's always faithful men. In every generation, there's men who love Christ and stay the course and faithful. Verse 3. Share in suffering. Share in suffering. This is, this is a part of the gospel. He tells Timothy... You are going to suffer for what you preach and teach. You're going to be rejected by your families. You're going to be scolded by others. You're going to be outcast. Circumstances will come against you because of demonic forces. Christ is hated by this world and by Satan. Things will go poorly. By standing on the truth, you will be misunderstood, misrepresented, categorized as whatever. Accept it. Go on suffering. It's okay. It's part of the deal. Notice, share in suffering as a good soldier in Christ Jesus. Verse 4 and beyond gives three different illustrations that's important for the young preacher to see. Three different illustrations. He has the illustration of a soldier, an athlete, and a farmer. He gives these analogies, if you will, and he has something specific to say in each one of these analogies. Verse 4, no soldier, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits. The old King James is gets tangled, entangled in worldly stuff. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits. Since his aim, the very reason he's a soldier, is to please the one who enlisted him. I love that. I love that ESV translation there. In ministry, all of us, because we're all in ministry. You know, I talk about the preacher and the teacher and all that, but all, every one of us, God, God uses in a particular ministry. Stay focused on the one who called you into it. Don't get, how can you get focused, how can you get sidetracked a thousand different ways? You can adopt a method of teaching that simply tickles their ear and tells them what they want. You can get sidetracked in a kind of preaching that just condemns and beats the sheep instead of feeds the sheep. You can get distracted by all things in politics. Politics. Preachers that get on the, you know, TV and instead of preaching the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, they're telling you who to vote for. You ought to know who to vote for by your own examination of the candidates. It's not the place of the preacher to tell you that. Not at all. No involvement in that stuff at all. We are not to please a political party. We're not to please the people in the pew. A preacher can go off course when he's trying to make everybody happy. You ever tried to make everybody around you happy? Impossible. You end up making nobody happy. 
especially you. Thank you. And so there's only one that we have to please. I was talking to Larry's good friend Lenny, who lives out in Callahan. He was giving me some tips about living out in Callahan. And, uh, you know, said he went to a city council meeting, and that's the last one he'll go to because that was kind of crazy. He had fun with that. Um, I asked him about the crime rate out there in Callahan. This is a rabbit trail. It has nothing to do with the sermon. It's just Benadryl talking at this point. He said, uh, he said the crime rate's very low out there. He said basically because everyone carries a gun. And if somebody tries to steal something, somebody's going to get shot. And so, you know, that's kind of the way it is. Amen. You know, gun, con- gun control in Callahan is hitting the target. That's gun control in Callahan. So anyway, don't know where I was or where I'm going, but uh, help me out here. Where We're talking about the good... We only had to please one. The preacher... In, your, in you, you don't have to please, just please Christ. And always do what the right thing is, no matter who it makes mad. I know what I was going with that. Lenny, Lenny said to me this. He said, you know, the problem I have many times in churches, he's been in several churches and looking for a church and hoping someday he comes here. But this is the problem he has. He said, I see preachers in these big churches, these big giant facilities, and they're, they're in debt over their ears. And then they got to be real careful about not upsetting that family and that family and this family. Because all of a sudden, all those tithing members are going to go, and then they can't keep the machinery running. So basically, they're making their decision based on staying out of trouble rather than standing against sin, doing what's right, preaching the whole counsel of God. See that? See the box they get in? Preacher must be free preach Christ, and then deal with sin as it crops up, and sin always crops up within the fellowship of the believers, always does. You have to handle it in the right way, with love, and but with firmness. So, first of all, he says to him, stay focused in ministry on the one who called you. You're going to please him. Don't worry about anybody else. Number two, the second illustration, verse five, an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to to the rules, i.e. Lance Armstrong. Classic illustration in our generation, i.e. steroids in baseball. You only get the crown if you take the long way around and do it right and refuse to take shortcuts in the ministry. There are a thousand shortcuts in the ministry. There are ways to groom and And there are companies that will come in and show you how to build your church like it was a business. Shortcuts, ways that fan out and and create some kind of conglomeration rather than the organism, the body of Christ, where believers come and grow in grace. Don't take shortcuts. A shortcut in preaching is telling you that you can be healed of all your diseases by just believing. That's a shortcut. It's a shortcut to tell you that God wants to bless you with multiple finances. Just make sure you're giving and give plenty and God will give you more. This is a program, man. And it's sold just like a program on, this, on, this, on these televisions and with the way preachers handle this. Shortcuts. But if you want the money, if you want the crowds, tell them what they want to hear. Do the shortcut. But the crown comes to ministries and to preachers who will not bend to any of that stuff, 
who stay with the stuff that the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, that's it. And we're going to talk about Christ. We're going to feed you Christ, and we're going to take the long haul. You can build a church fast, and it's just about as stable and sturdy as a a fast-growing pine, which will break in the wind. It takes an oak a long time to grow, but you're not going to push that thing over. So don't take shortcuts. Stay with the message. In season, out of season, when people walk away, when they come, when there's plenty, when there's not, when things seem exciting, when they don't, you stay with the gospel. You refuse to give in to fads and and modern type strategies that really communicate the gospel is not enough, that Christ isn't enough. So stay focused and please the one. Second of all, don't take shortcuts. Do it right. Thirdly, it's the hardworking farmer in verse 6. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Now, any preacher who reads that immediately is going to think it's a, that's, that's a big income. <laughs> because there's flesh within us all and we think, oh, payday, I need to eat, eat, eat. And so I'm going to eat from the ministry. That's not what it's talking about at all. He's reminding Timothy, when you do ministry, you ought to eat. You ought to make sure you enjoy what you do. When church becomes a drudgery, there's something wrong. When ministry becomes a drudgery, you got your eyes on church and ministry, not Christ. You know, I'm of the personality type of an otter. It's part of my personality type. So my whole basic personality of, if we can't have fun, let's just not do it. And I suppose that bleeds over into ministry, too. If we're not having fun with this thing, let's make it fun. Let's enjoy ministry. Let's enjoy the Lord. Let's make sure that we don't serve beyond our eating ourselves, because that's what happens. You stop feeding on Christ yourself, and you begin to rely on some kind of ministry high. You know, you get, you see God work in people's lives, and that's a high. You see folks come and families. Uh, We had a young couple in our young couple's class this morning, very first time they ever came. And they're going to get married next spring. Exciting to watch God draw that young couple to that class. I'm planning on putting that young couple, Tim and Ashley, with another young couple in our church to mentor them, have them eat together a few times before I talk to them. It's, it's exciting to watch God, people, God, God work in people's lives, but that's not our high. Our high is Christ himself. Our food is Christ ourselves. So you eat. You eat of what you're preaching. Don't ever get to a place where you're teaching and preaching something you're not eating yourself. Eat it. So, you know, we all like the big salaries. But that's not what it's talking about at all. Okay? It's not what it's talking about. So, a couple more and we'll be done tonight. Notice, think over what I say. Meditate. I've given you three analogies. Make sure you get the analogy right. For the Lord will give you understanding in everything. So, to reiterate, verse 4. The good soldier keeps his eyes on Christ, the one who pulled him into this thing, and I will please you, and I will please you only. I won't get tied up in the pursuits of the social gospel, the political gospel, any other gospel than the redemptive gospel of Christ. Second of all, to the athlete, I will do it right. I will not succumb to the shortcuts of the healing and the prosperity and the warm, fuzzy, human psychology, positive thinking thing. I will not do those things. I'll tell the truth and preach the truth and stay by the stuff till he comes home, till he comes back. And thirdly, the good soldier or the good 
farmer, eat what you're preaching. Eat what you're preaching. Eat, 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 and enjoy it. When discouragement comes in in the church work, it's because we've got our eyes on the church rather than Christ. Happens to all of us at time from time. When we keep our eyes in Christ, there's no discouragement. All right, we'll go down to verse 10, and, and then we'll be done. This is what he says. Remember Jesus Christ. Now, we see the word remember, and we think, all right, I remember him. This is not the word here. The idea is keep him on the mind always. Keep him steadily in front of you. Call him to your remembrance because the things of this world creep in, the concerns of this world overtake us, and we are to keep our minds on Jesus Christ. Remember Jesus Christ. Notice, remember him, risen from the dead. The context of our reminding ourselves of Christ is that he is alive from the dead and he lives with us. You know, the Great Commission, at the end of the Great Commission, he says, and lo, I will be with you always, even unto the ends of the earth. There's a young, young Japanese fella who got saved years ago and a missionary led him to Christ. And uh, he was an Oriental and his name was Lo. And so they got to this verse, you know, and, and uh, anyway, he's just beamed from ear to ear with a big grin when the missionary read him, and lo, I am with you always. He's as much with us right now in this age as he was with the apostles when he walked with them and shortly after. In fact, at the day of Pentecost, he is equally here in power and in life. He is alive and he is here. He is not distant. He's here. So risen from the dead. He is the offspring of David. A reference to his Jewish heritage. Isn't that interesting? Why would he say the offspring of David? I think he's reminding his Gentile readers that Jesus was a Jew and that God has worked before Jesus came in the nation of Israel to bring about Christ and maybe to respect and to honor the Jews. But anyways, his offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. And I love the next verse. But the word of God is not bound. Circumstances bind us at times. What we must care about is the word of God being free to go. And I'm telling you, the word of God is free to go many times when we're bound. The more bound, bound we are, sometimes the freer the word of God is. You know what a testimony is, right? A, test, a testimony first requires a test. If there wasn't any restricting change in your life, you wouldn't be a showplace for everybody around you. When that medical report comes that you don't want, when the difficulty comes that you don't want, when struggles come and you can't quite put it all together and you're falling apart, the lost world is watching that. It's a testimony. We, the, the more bound we are by things many times, circumstances that are down here, the more freely the word of God, because now we're going to see if they really believe what they say they believe. Okay? You know, everybody can trust in Christ when the cherry Sundays are coming, but you cut off that ice cream supply, it's tough. Verse 10, and we're done. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect. <laughs> Therefore, because I want the word of God to flow freely, I endure everything 
the slander of friends, the turning away of all that are in Asia, locked behind prison walls, probably in the lower dungeon, listening to the blade sharpen on the axe for his head to be severed in a matter of days and weeks. I endure all those things for the sake of folks that are elect. Now, who are the elect? The elect are the saved. I think in this verse, it's more than the folks that are saved now. I think it's for Paul, it's the folks that are going to get saved after he's dead or beyond because they saw his testimony. For the sake of folks that are going to get, you know those folks that are lost out there that you work on? You don't know if they're elect or not. You don't know. Spurgeon said, I'd run around the streets of London and pull up their shirt tails to see if there was a big E on their back if I could, a red stripe. But I don't know who's elect, so I just preaching to everybody. But Paul said, for the sake of those who are saved and those who will be saved, the elect that are out there that haven't been brought in yet, I endure all things. I suffer. I'm okay with suffering. Because in the end, we're all going to be around his throne and those who have been brought in because I had to go through whatever I had to go through, it's going to be worth it all. It's going to be worth it all. And then he says that they may also obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Paul had already obtained it, and yet he was terribly concerned that others obtain what he already had. There's a type of Christianity that can be very self-centered and self-serving. There's a type of Christianity that's just me, my world, my kingdom. I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. And then there's the Christianity where Christ is living his life and the great lover of men's souls is the Holy Spirit who lives within you. And you allow that life to live and you will have a burden and heart for souls. You want them to 